This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debate. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today my guest on Off the Shelf is John Etherton. John is the President CEO of Etherton Associates and... Um, the person I always seek out when I want to know what the heck is going on from a procurement policy perspective. John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Roger. It's a pleasure to be back. Well, I I, and I am looking forward to this conversation. And here we are, 2020 is done. Um, And, you know, I just like to get your thoughts on where we are with regard to the procurement system, just sort of big picture first, and then we can dive down into some of the more interesting stuff. So go ahead. Sure, Roger. Uh, well, I think it's important to know, number one, good riddance to 2020, right? So um, Absolutely. hopefully better things this year. But I would say one of the nice things uh, about starting 2021 is that Congress stepped up uh, this year and did decide to sort of clean the slate so that we really can get started with a new process and a new administration, unlike what they did in 2016 when they kicked everything down the road. Um, so we have a big, massive uh, omnibus plus COVID bill that uh, just you know got done. We have the uh, NDAA, uh, which got done uh, in some way. And so I think the real question is going to be, given the very uh, clear delineated outlines of the last administration and Congress in terms of where they wanted to go with broader acquisition policy and concerns, how much of that continues and how much do we have a break and maybe a new way of of looking at, at things. Uh, I think it would probably be the, the, the biggest puzzle. I think this year, the budget from the new administration probably won't be over to Congress until uh, late March at the earliest, maybe even into early April. Uh, so there'll be some time, I think, for the committees to get organized, which will you know take a little bit of time, but, uh, and there'll be some, there are some staff changes this year. Uh, but I think it'll be, give everybody a little bit of a pause to sort of sit and start sorting through you know, how do we reset things? I don't expect this administration coming in in any of the legislative uh, packages that'll come over will have really any big ideas yet. Um, I think they'll probably want to take a year and see what experience brings them and what things that they want to revisit. So it'll give everybody an opportunity, I think, to take a breath and and, and look at some things. I think there'll be definitely be some continuities. uh, There's no question. But I also think there may be some you know, interesting new ideas that may be emerging or new takes on old ideas uh, that people want to consider. My personal plea or feeling would be, as far as new legislation is concerned, with a couple of exceptions I can think about, uh, I would like to see a Sabbath year this year. Right, right. And I think a lot of people uh, in a more, a, a bigger focus on assessment and oversight, but Congress passes laws, that's their main occupation. The staff has to feed that process. Uh, so I don't think we're going to quite get a Sabbath, but it'd be nice if it was a quieter year uh, in this area than what we've had over the last several. Right. So a couple of questions in, on current events around that. So, you know, this week we have uh, elections in Georgia mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, depending on 
the way those turn out, how would that impact the legislation generally, but also when you start thinking about policy around um, operations and, you know, procurement and that sort of thing? Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't really see it having a major impact on the policy uh, operations issue. I think on the acquisition policy and the contracting side, uh, those are pretty bipartisan issues that don't tend to break much on partisan uh, basis. And even the issues in that realm that uh, may have uh, in the past sort of moved in that direction. I think what you're going to see this year is more bipartisan concern and, and approach. And the one area that I would say is probably in the supply chain security area, you know, with the solar wind. That's where I was going next. That was my well, next. Well, I mean, I think it's going to be a, a while, I think, before the forensics have given us any sense of the scope of that and what the impact is. But I, but I do think it feeds into the general uh, theme of supply chain security, which has really become a front and center. It was driven by, you know, COVID uh, and, and some of the concerns there. It was driven by the concerns about, uh, you know, sort of the domestic sourcing more broadly. Uh, and then the cyber piece of it, I think, is also mixed up in that. So I think that's going to be sort of the big center of gravity, I guess, around which a lot of things are going to cluster uh, this year. And I think also, to the extent we see new legislation, you know, that's going to really drive the conversation in those areas. Yeah, it's going to be centered around those things. And yeah, I mean, one of the things that I've, you know, even, you know, in 2020, when you look at all the pieces of legislation around, um, you know, focusing on domestic capabilities and sourcing for different things, you know, pharmaceuticals, for example, and where, or even just to start the process and reporting where things are made so they can make some assessments, you know, that's a bipartisan approach as well, isn't it? Yeah, I, I just think people are going to be interested. Now, there are going to be some wrinkles and nuances in that conversation. Again, I think if you take these things and sort of put them in buckets, because I think the broader theme of supply chain security has a number of buckets. Okay, so let's look at domestic sourcing um, I think even there, you're going to have different ideas about domestic and national technology and industrial base, which is Canada, the UK, Australia, as well as the US. And the conversation, it was a conversation I think we really had last year around issues like uh, printed circuit boards. I think we're going to see that same discussion back and forth. I think you'll see some folks are going to be more hardline on the on domestic only versus you know, a broader consideration of allies and, and you know, NATO and non-NATO allies and that sort of thing. So I think that, that there, there'll be those different elements. Uh, the other part of that that I think also will be interesting is, and really was teed up last year, there was a proposal which didn't make it in the final version of the authorization bill, which would have increased the percentage requirements in the Buy American Act, which is yeah. a very old piece of legislation, uh, which, you know, going up above 50% was in line with the executive orders that came out last year, sort of gradually ramping that up as one mechanism. And that covers everything versus going after specific targeted industries and commodities, right? Rare earths, printed circuit boards, microelectronics, unmanned aerial systems and all that sort of thing. So my personal opinion, okay, first of all, the Buy American Act, I think is one of the most worthless pieces of legislation that's ever been passed. Uh, if it were up to me, I would have it repealed immediately. I, it doesn't do anything other than cause a lot of administrative headaches for people that, you know, go through and fill out all the forms. And because of all the exceptions and all the other, right. things, it's very broad. 
So actually measuring percentage, whatever that means, you come up with these constructs, but I just don't think it, I would challenge anybody to show me that there's one U.S. job that ever was affected <laughs> by one way or the other. I mean, I think a much better approach is to look at individual commodities or supply chain kinds of things. You know, when you want to look at PPE, you want to look at rare earth, you want to look at printed circuit boards, microelectronics, that's a much more productive way to approach this. You know, identify your critical industries, identify your critical materials, and then do an assessment there and figure out what your real, you know, priorities are. And I think that debate's going to happen this year again. I think there'll be further proposals to use, you know, a, a more of a broad brush by American uh, approach versus looking at the, because it's harder to do the analysis on, on the more specific commodities. And, and but, it's, but, you know, but you're suggesting a more strategic approach to it. Yeah. Right, yeah. At the end of the day, rather than trying to, and the broad brush to your point isn't really effective when I start thinking, you know, my life in government procurement, right? You know, you over a certain dollar value, let's say it's 200,000. The Trade Agreements Act applies. So the Bimary Act doesn't even apply. Presum- right. You know, the uh, trade agreements that the United States has signed up to. So it's kind of, it looks good. Right. And it appeals to people, oh, buy America. But in reality, the impact isn't that great. I mean, so. Well, and it, it's an administrative, if you really say, we are absolutely going to take this seriously, it's absolutely going to be, you have to do- sign on the dotted line, whatever, that, that it's 50 versus 55% or whatever percentage. Um, I just think you drag all the the administrative stuff into it. You know, again, I, I don't. I think it's a lot more trouble than it's worth. Um, it's an interesting artifact of an earlier time and an approach. It's really was passed around the time of the Great Depression uh, in the uh, in the 30s. Uh, so why do we? You know, we we have better ways of doing it. And I understand the political ramifications of being the one you know advocating for repeal of the Buy American Act. Right. But I, I personally think it's a, it's something that ought to be pushed aside and. And we ought to look at these other approaches. Right. More effective right. and strategic. And I think we're going to have that discussion again this year. Right. So, John, we're up on the break. And when we come back, I just want to get your thoughts on, you know, the, how the government's going to change and continue to respond to the you know, near peer competition we're mm-hmm. seeing, particularly with China. So uh, we'll get on that when we come back from the break. My guest today is John Etherton. He's the president of Etherton Associates. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is John Etherton, president of Etherton Associates. And uh, John, um, when we took the break, I mentioned the near-peer adversaries, near-peer competition, and you know, what are the implications, ramifications for the Department of Defense, the federal government in general, and, and the country? Uh, so it's a big topic, but I can't think of a better person to discuss it with. So your thoughts? Yeah, I think we're, we have been somewhat on the horns of a dilemma before. I think we're still on the same horns of a dilemma, right, with this. Because if you look at our acquisition system writ large, especially when you talk about putting capabilities in systems, we are still operating under a, a process that was designed or operated in the Cold War era, right? And it, it, it didn't have to be that as fast as it, I think it will need to be. Uh, and that's been the big challenge I think people have been wrestling with for the last almost five, 10 years is how do we change the system, get it in a way that we can be confident that it delivers the innovation and all that sort of thing. And yet is safe you know, and secure uh, and sufficiently. And I think that's the big challenge. I think especially given the 
amount of innovation that we depend on now from the commercial sector, uh, especially in the electronics world and the IT world, where more and more capability is resonant in that area, right? So that's the challenge, and yet manage it in a, in a way that, that is fast enough to keep up with the things that we, we see out there that we have to counter. And I think that's going to be a continuing battle. I think that the, the whole discussion around cyber and securing unclassified and classified information uh, that's flowing through the networks, uh, protecting that. I think this latest hack scandal is, you know, part of that whole conversation. You know, what sort of special things do you do in the government defense realm uh, that effectively create barriers to the other things that you want to do, which is to bring the stuff in as quickly as, as possible. Uh, and I think the other issue that you have to wrestle with uh, is the speed issue, right? So yeah. the whole idea is we want to move much more quickly. We want to f- fail fast. We want to succeed and then move things quickly. And somehow going through too many wickets, we get into a position where we can get st- something in the hands of the warfighter. And I think, um, the system itself and the way it's currently built and the parts that we're not really doing anything with like the budgeting and programming process uh, really give you a situation where you can go for all the speed you want, but eventually if you don't have performance of the system or the capability and also uh, cost in mind, you know, too much negative in those areas will drag you back into something that, that you'll start slowing the system down. So you know, we have the new 5000 and DOD series where they've listed all these different pathways, which is great. Uh, the front end stuff is wonderful. It really does give you an opportunity to test a lot of innovative things without betting a large system on an outcome. Uh, I think that's great. Uh, and fail early so that you don't have a lot invested. So you can be a little riskier in, in terms of how you do that. But you get to a certain point, even in this new process, where you're trying to migrate things into the old programming and budgeting driven system and all the paperwork and the certifications and the reports that go along with that. uh, I just don't think people have figured out how to do a smooth transition where you don't lose the value of the early speed. And that, that I think is going to be the big, and then on the, and the other part of it, as I mentioned, is on the cyber and some of the other security requirements on the supply chain side, how much of a disincentive is that for companies that may be operating outside of that world to go through all the trouble of bringing their innovation and making right. it available and working with the government. And I think, you know, and I'll, a perfect example is where we're going to solve a lot of that through using other transactions agreements, whether it, those things were worked through consortia or through like a place like DIU. And in that whole concept is the idea that you can build in a, a, a agreement that says, if this works, we're going to, start making it, you know, and getting it out to the field. And I'm not aware of too many cases people get sort of to that place where they have something that they really like. I've got, I've had a couple of clients in this world where you get to that point and you say, okay, well, we can just go ahead and do, you know, it's, we have something that there, nobody could protest. You know, we did all the front end kinds of things. Uh, unlike some of the things that happened before, we've got all that covered. And then people get to that and they look over the abyss and they say, well, I think we want to go to a contract, you know, let's bring all the FAR clauses and everything else right. into it. And you end up in one case, I'm aware of, you had a year, you know, to that, right. Even though you set it all up so that you can move it into production under the OTA. That's to me, the fundamental problem is you get to that point and then you pay it all back and you give up all of the value of the time in trying to integrate it into the normal 
process, which really, unfortunately, hasn't changed that much. Why do you think that is when people come up to the, cause I was going to ask you, you, you stole my thunder here. I yeah. was going to ask you about OTAs next. So you brought it up. So that's great. But like, what, what, is it a cultural thing? Is it just risk averse? Is it, you got, it's at the point when you got to put big money on something. Um, what, you know, what, yeah, I think it's a lot of, I think a lot of those, the, you know, the risk aversion and the people's feeling that they don't have a lot of experience. And I, and I think this is instructive. You know, people say, you know, there've been some proposals, well, let's just get rid of the FAR, you know, let's just let people, right. you know, right. well, this is an example of what happens when you get rid of the FAR. People want some framework. They want some structure, structure. Yep. in which to form a contract. And so that when the oversight organizations come in, you know, they, they can meet whatever the benchmarks that they're going to have in terms of evaluating, the, you know, the success of the acquisition. But I think a lot of it is just people are just not comfortable with it. My feeling is what they might want to do in, in DOD or elsewhere is take a few of these things that are ready and just hold their nose, bite the bullet and say, these are going to be pilots. We're going to try this. Right. We're going to see what happens. If it blows up, oh, well, you know, we'll move it to a contract. I mean, it's not going to be the end of the world. Tell Congress, hey, folks, we'll come and talk to you, but this is what we're going to do. And it may not work, but we're going to try it. And just see, because I think that's the only way people are going to get a comfort around using that. And and there is another issue, though, that's down the road, even if you do that within the OTA to production. If you have something that you're going to buy a long time and really it's more and more going to be looking like a traditional procurement of whatever capability it is, at some point you are going to have to move it into the FAR. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, you, you got to do, you can't buy 20 years. I mean, I challenge somebody to think about that. I don't think you can buy 20 years of something under an OTA. Right. So the question is, do you bite the bullet now or do you try it and maybe in three or four years bite the bullet? You know, so I, I think that's also an issue that, but it adds a lot, it, just a horrendous amount of time, you know, in, into this. Yeah. Well, that's to your point, like, you know, talk to people like the, the OTAs are filled with, you know, FAR provisions or the cost principles or things like that, because that's what people know, right? Right. You know, so you're to getting the speed to get it in place, but then to govern the actual, you know, execution and expenditures, you're using FAR principles and clauses and that sort of thing. So, you know, trying to, you know, thread that needle is interesting. You know, we've got a couple minutes left in the segment and you mentioned just, you know, with a, the issue of, with the cyber requirements and that sort of thing, we will, um, companies want to bring stuff to the federal government, new capabilities. I actually wonder if there's going to be a convergence between the federal cyber requirements and what's out there and what people are doing in the private sector. Your thoughts on that? Yeah. You and I have talked, actually talked about this a couple of times and I, I still believe there will be. My my question is when, you know, and I think what that will be driven is the liability and insurance issues. I mean, I think as people have incidents or something where, you know, Folks are affected in, in various ways, and they have to pay big bills. Uh, and and the, dip, the greater difficulty in getting insurance and what the insurance companies are going to require, um, I think it's going to drive more of a convergence. I do think that there will be some government requirements, though, that are going to be outside of any of that, that are going to be separate. And so the question is, you know, when do you get to the point when companies are not just going to be doing things because it's what you have to do to stay in business generally? And what do you have to do in order to be, you know, to get one, one area in particular, I'm going to be very interested to see how it evolves is the whole, the CMMC process uh, that companies are now being required to, to go through uh, and whether the new administration 
just keeps it as is, which I don't think is likely, or they start to pivot into something different uh, with a different sort of a compliance mechanism and how much of the effort and the expense and all the things that the companies have done and in in, in all throughout the supply chain to be compliant with the current process, how much of that can, is repurposable into this new, whatever the new thing is, if there is one. I think there's going to be something new in some way. It, it's not going to be the same as what we, we've had. I've, yeah. I think there's some real issues with the whole process, the way it works now. Right. right. Well, John, we're up on the break. When we come back, let's um, turn a little different direction, but it's the same topic in a certain sense and talk a little bit about the NDA and what's in it and what people will be seeing rolling out over the next year. That'd be great. My guest today is John Etherton. He's president of Etherton and Associates. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is John Etherton, President at Etherton and Associates. And John, um, yeah, this segment, we're going to talk about the NDA and really what are some of the key provisions coming out of it that are going to impact the you know, procurement system and the procurement community, industry, and the department, of course. So please enlighten us all. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, I think that the uh, issues that we talked about in the first two segments were probably the most uh, prominent of the issues that were under discussion, and I think that's going to continue. I think the, you know, again, there's just so many things that are going to drive that conversation further uh, that I think we're going to see more more legislating in that area on the whole supply chain security. But there are other areas which I also think are interesting that. Uh, uh, are, are some of which are perennial issues and some of which are, you know, things uh, that uh, are relatively novel. I think that the, the new acquisition pathways and the way that you do acquisition, one area that I, it, it sort of sneak was kind of sneaked in and it's, it, there's a, a little bit of an allusion to it in the uh, authorization bill and then it was picked up in the omnibus appropriation is the whole question of software color of money. Um, and that's been a discussion item. Uh, and it's interesting to me that in in the very polarized environment, let me just say that, not so much pol- some political, but also just between the, the branches on use of appropriated money. And we have the issues around the wall and things like that, that Congress was willing to give DOD at their request the authority to, con- to create uh, accounts that are essentially software color money. So that, in other words, you can use, rather than worry with its operations and maintenance or research or procurement, you don't have to worry about that. It's not unlimited money. It doesn't run for that long. But basically, it does provide for um, not having to worry about that in the software development and deployment side, which I think is a really positive signal, given some of the conversations that I've had with staffs on the commi- on the appropriations committees about their skepticism in general to anything like this. Um, so I think there's going to, again, recognizing that software is where res- capability resides now yeah. and so much of yeah. what the, the, uh, the government buys, uh, that's a very positive sign. So I think that looking at that and saying, now we have a couple of years with the DibSwap, you know, software acquisition and practices study from the Defense Innovation Board and that. Now we've had a couple of years of implementation. We're seeing kind of how that works. We set up a separate acquisition pathway now what do we need, you know, what have we learned? Where, you know, where do we need to go with that? I think that not a lot of discussion in the bill this year, but but I think some significant markers were laid down. And I think that is something that definitely is going to get picked up uh, and, and continued as a discussion point. Uh, and again, 
given capability resonance in that, that is where a lot of attention needs to be focused. We had issues uh, like intellectual property, uh, you know, moving the sort of the goal a little bit and trying to get a better understanding of where that issue, that, that is a never ending tension issue between industry and government and different uh, concepts of acquisition. You know, how much does the government need to own control uh, right. and that sort of thing? And, and on what basis do you make those determinations uh, that, you know, again, some conversations set, you know, some reports and studies sort of setting that issue up, I think for, you know, continuing discussion. I think you see that in the, uh, 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 commercial you, items. Go is ahead. There, you know, John, just generally on that is, do yeah. you see, I mean, are things, the balance of between our, you know, it's going to be a, it's always a compromise, right? Between government rights and right. intellectual property because it provided funded some funding or, you know, a portion of the funding versus the private sector's rights in that. Is it, is it, is it moving in the right direction from your perspective? Well, I, I think it's just going to be, there's never going to be, a consensus, I think, because of the interests of the stakeholders. And I'm very sympathetic. Uh, I'm really to both sides. Obviously, I've worked with industry on this. But I, I, I sat through the uh, A13 panel meetings that was the government industry group that was, you know, trying to, frankly, talk through all this stuff. And I, gotta, I did listen carefully to the government folks, especially the people working the logistics and the, and the maintenance and the sustainment side, because they feel that they have these imperatives that are put on them in statute that conflict with some of the ways that data rights are parsed out. Um, and so there's this, there's just always going to be the, these uh, tensions that I think that are existing and some given how complicated and the relationship between version a version B of essentially the same technology or the same, you know, practice or whatever, and how you decide whether something is new and what the government paid for and all that. I just I mean, I think it's just going to be, and, and the desire not to be locked in to one vendor uh, for, you know, some period of time when you can see the benefits of competition. I mean, I think that's not arguable. So the one good innovation, and it was this was sort of outside the scope of the NDAA, and I have talked about this before, and I did mention, I did talk to the transition team and said to them that this was something that they really needed to continue, was the idea, especially in the IP area as they're uh, coming out with the implementing regulations to these statutes, which if you track this, uh, there's normally a delay of years before changes yes, in the law get implemented. Uh, the, the changes that were done in the, the FY12 bill, we didn't see anything come out till 16, even a proposed rule because of all the controversy around this. And what they're doing is having much more dialogue between government and industry around what the draft proposed rule will look like uh, they haven't had to change that whole rulemaking at all. It just basically you bring people in, you throw a draft up there, you let everybody, you know, argue and discuss uh, with and focus on line in, line out kinds of arguments and, and conversations. I think that's going to cut years out of that. So at least as we do those kinds of, of changes, uh, you can see what it looks like. You can see what it looks like in practice. Uh, and I think that will help refine. I don't think we're ever going to get to a total meeting of the minds but at least a point where people understand, you know, what, what each side is. And again, it get, this also gets into the whole issue of attracting commercial innovation. You know, that's the tension point there. How, you know, how do you work all that out? And there were, again, there were words and some things put in place in the NDA, which I think, you know, continue that conversation. But I think we're going to see continuing amendments and proposals uh, around certain areas for ever, yeah. pretty much. 
commercial item and how you do commercial item determinations and the degree of relationship between a commercial item determination and a determination of a price is reasonable. Uh, I think, again, is going to be, there was some you know further movement in that area. I think it was in the wrong direction, uh, away from using prior determinations uh, as a way of sort of streamlining that process and kind of opening up a little bit more. Uh, I think that's a, a little bit of a concern, but I think that's going to be, you know, that was addressed in the bill and I think that's going to be a continuing discussion. One little thing that was in the bill is a little pet issue of mine. Uh, in the, I think it was in the FY17 bill, there was a pilot program uh, to test uh, bid protests. You know, this whole idea of a, of a loser, there's really no consequence for making a protest and losing, uh, but the consequences for the acquisition folks and getting the capabilities, it can drag it out for a year or more. So they wanted to put some, uh, make people put some skin in the game and suffer some consequences if they do something that is found later to be without merit. And so there was a pilot program that tested all the wrong things with all the wrong people that was supposed to go into effect in December last year. And uh, basically that was repealed. So that sort of reset it. I think there's still a lot of debate around that. I don't think we're ever going to see a place where they say you can either protest or go to the court of federal claims. That's not happening. I hope people know you're going to have the two bite issue no matter what, but you know, some uh, further conversation around that and, uh, it's going to continue, but at least that pilot, which really tested nothing of any value, it, it would have cost a lot of money to implement is, is gone. So that, that I think is another area that, uh, and then I think the other area that we're going to look at is small business. And uh, there was some further discussion in the bill about the landing flight path, glide path, or whatever it is, how long you get to be a small business and, and evaluating, you know, how long you get to stay in that program, um, stretching it out a little bit. Uh, that tension is still going to be there. And I'm hoping one of these days that we have a more uh, comprehensive conversation around what the small business programs that the federal government has are to do. But I think as long as you have a very easy way of measuring compliance, which is how much money dollars are you putting in small business contracts, uh, coming up with a different construct is going to be very difficult because it would make a lot more work for more people. Again, that was another issue. And I think every year we're going to see further variations on that theme. Uh, uh, the other thing that I think was very positive from a small business perspective is that uh, first tier subcontractors who don't have a valuation or past practices or whatever, uh, they can now get that. Um, although it's going to put a little bit of burden on the prime contractors right. to provide some of that performance past, past performance. Yeah. They can, they can now have an opportunity to get that information and become evaluated and make them more competitive uh, for broader swaths of work. I think that issue got settled in this last authorization bill. Great. Well, John, we're up on the break. And when we come back, I just want to ask you your, your thoughts. You, you know, I want to go back to the opening segment. We talked about a, you know, taking a Sabbath year or a sabbatical maybe <laughs> um, and go study something else instead of, you know, legislating, I guess, and acquisition reform and just your thoughts on the flexibility in the system. And are, are we as a, uh, government and as a procurement community taking advantage of what already exists or not and we're, you know are there opportunities in the current structure to you know gain some ca- greater capabilities a good example I think of that is the idea of like you know having discussions about proposed rules before they're actually issued you know having that you know getting people together that, to your point that saves a lot of time and saves people 
learning more about what the perspective is instead of like, you know, formal, you know, issuances of things and that sort of stuff. So we'll do that when we come back. My guest today is John Etherton. He's president at Etherton Associates. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is John Etherton, president of Etherton Associates. And John, um, yeah, I wanted to ask you uh, uh, this question, and just, uh, or, and it's an open-ended, I guess, question, um, just you know, where we are within the system itself. We've talked, uh, you talked about the FAR and using the FAR when you, with OTAs, when you get to that point where you get to the production and the comfort people have and, you know, having a framework and that sort of thing. You know, at the same time, you also talked about taking a Sabbath year in terms of, you know, procurement reform legislation. I put reform in quotes. Um, so where, where do you think the regulations and the, the construct is right now? Is, are, are, we, are we missing opportunities to, you know, you take advantage of flexibilities or do things in a different manner, but within the context that already exists? Thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I think that the OTA examples we talked about earlier, I think, are, are something where people kind of walk to the edge and they look over it and they just don't feel comfortable taken the leap. Um, you know, we have the 804 authorities in the middle tier of acquisition, some of those and the rapid stuff. And, uh, you know, I think all of that is great. I, I have been a, sort of a little surprised uh, about a couple things. Number one, if you go and look at the, I think it's in chapter 141 or 142, um, some of the requirements on milestone approvals uh, that are in statute. Congress has said, you know, before you do that, you need to do all these analysis and you need to, you know, give us a report and we need certifications that this and that has occurred, which I think I per- personally, um, I understand somebody was unhappy about something that happened in, you know, 2002 or something, and they stuck another one of those things in there. But there's a lot of that stuff. And, and, it, and unfortunately, in this latest go around on the uh, 5,000 rewrite, nobody went and even asked anybody to touch it, right? Right. So it's all waiting, lying in wait, you know, for the program manager and and the system when these things come through this very rapid, here it is, you know. Um, and if you read the 5,000, you say, well, who's supposed to figure all this out? And the new 5,000 says, well, we're going to make the, Mikey do it. You know, we're going to make the program manager figure it out. And I'm not sure that's the best place to, to do that. So I think we're doing really well in the in the easier parts of this, which is the front end, you know, and experimentation and, and all of that. But it's got, at the end of the day, where it all cashes out, in my opinion, is how quickly can you get capability in the hands of the warfighter? And I am skeptical whether all of this uh, uh, will happen. I, I, you know, not facetiously said to some of the folks in the department that were worrying about this, that it said, why don't you go and ask Congress to just repeal all this stuff? You know, zero base, all of these statutory requirements for, um, you know, the milestone reviews. I mean, just get rid of it. I mean, why, you're going to do what you need to do to, to be, manage this well. You're not, it's not going to be right. you know, everybody running wild. So why you need the law to tell you things that you're going to do anyway and more likely result in the creation of new positions and offices and other things in the system that then solely focus on that one thing that Congress has said that you need to do and and they don't care about the rest of what happens before what happens after that 
So there's always a huge cost. And frankly, I was a little disappointed of anything about this current NDAA, the one that just passed, is that uh, there's a lot of that in there. There's more stuff where people have said, when you know, we want you to do this, 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 and this, and make it, you know, some kind of a statutory requirement. And it's like, look, you know, why would you, you know, just put some report language in there and say, we expect that you're going to do these smart things and, and, you know, that you can come and talk to us about it, but not make it a statutory requirement. Because that brings in a huge administrative, you know, compliance framework that I just think is really, I don't know what you get for that other than people get jobs and it, it sort of drags the system down. And I don't mean to, you know, denigrate stuff, but I just, I just don't know what you get for that. If these are good management practices that people would be incentivized just to, as a good managers to do anyway. So th- there's where I really see the problem. That's where I really think. And, and it, it, the problem too, is that we tend to focus on the easy things and do a lot of really fun stuff there and, and use that as a reason to say, well, we fixed a lot of this stuff and you've done the, the fail fast, no matter what else is a great thing. That is wonderful. We get right. that no matter what. Okay. That, that should always be there. That's a wonderful thing. But we shouldn't use these things and the ability to, to relatively easily change this front end stuff as, as an excuse to say, well, we've done it, all this other stuff because we haven't. The, the PPBS process, exactly the same, right? If your program and your capability doesn't meet up with a requirement, meet up with all this stuff in a relatively narrow time frame, it's, you know, you, you're back in, in the queue to wait another two years to tee it up again, Right. And, and, and on the way we buy stuff, we tend to buy it uh, in, the, in the budget accounts and everything else are set up to buy things with us in a system format with a relatively thin, thick, hard skin around it. Uh, and it makes it very difficult for this stuff to come migrating in and out in this new modular open systems or other kind of concept approach. Those are the tough things. And I think we really need to, we need, we need to recognize how much we are letting these external boundary factors drive the way we buy things and, and, and take it, take it on directly. Uh, and and I, we, we're still not doing it. I think there is a lot of flexibility in the system. And when I see people, even with the flexibility that we have sort of step back and say, you know, uh, not ready to do that yet. Then it, it doesn't give me a lot of hope that some of the harder things, people that are really going to take a lot of work and involve a lot of fairly uh, settled stakeholders, you know, make that, make that happen so but i think there's a lot you can do in the system i think if you've got strong leadership support from the very top behind the program manager behind the peo and dod uh you can you can do just about anything i mean really uh but it's a lot of work and i i think we could create a system that would make that a little bit easier right isn't it it's almost i mean i'm trying to think of an analogy when you described the reporting requirements and all that you know and milestones and all those sort of things and it's almost to me like first of all you you're talking about codifying management you know structures and you know and requirements as opposed to letting managers manage right it's almost like you think you know congress should congress look at it as okay it's more it should be like a quote and lose a contracting term a performance based approach mm-hmm. like we want you you we're going to hold you accountable for performance but, you know, like when you do a performance based and you get the contractor to, to identify, this is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to do it. And this is the measurement and the outcome I'm going to try to achieve, like, you know, that performance based. So and rather than, you know, wrote set of rules that are put in place that are very formulaic and process driven. I mean, I think that to me, that's 
sounds like to me that's like the next big area of hopefully some sort of focus and and you know repeal or reform or something well what i'm hoping and maybe it, it, the the way this is set up and i think there was a little bit of thought about this especially coming from the senate armed services committee a few years ago that you would set up these uh pathways that were much quicker right and when the things coming out of those pathways uh either got caught up in this bigger problem this system with all these things and you could see how frustrating it would be to take it from that point to delivery in the hands of the warfighter, um, that that would create enough of a force within the system to drive change. And that may happen. That very well may happen. Uh, somebody just may say, you know, look at this. You know, we had this great thing, and now, you know, here we are. We just added 10 years to the acquisition cycle for it uh, because of all these other kind of requirements, and, and that may be the driver. I personally think that they you didn't some of that you didn't have to wait for. I mean, I think – Again, I would have gone in and and maybe said to the Hill, let's get rid of all this, these milestone specific things um, and and not been too timid about it and say, let's blow it all up and then rebuild, you know, what we need, um, but not just keep them in place. Because I think there would, I personally think there would have been some consensus around that. I think people would have said, sure, you know, but, but, but one way or another, that's, that's the next part of this, but I think on the issue of the performance-based, what's so challenging in the government is, number one, just measuring performance. You know, what's that against? When you're in a company, it's like, well, are we making money, right? right, right. I mean, everything sort of, tr- sort of track it all back to that. Right. Um, and then, and then there is, and measuring the, the performance in different ways uh, and giving people enough control over all the elements so that they really have an opportunity to earn their success in those positions because everything is so broken up and you've got, you know, people with so many different responsibilities. That's really hard. Where do you cross the threshold where individual performance and leadership can manifest themselves, recognizing that there is a a definite role for compliance oriented process oriented approaches in there, you know, and I don't think we've really figured that out yet. So John, we got a couple of minutes left and I know, uh, you're in a transition phase of your life and I think you're going to be moving on to other things. Um, you know, you're retiring from Etherton and Associates and, you know, looking to do other things and just over your 40 year career, you know, in the procurement system and that sort of thing, just your thoughts on where we've come from and where you see things going, I guess. And just on a personal note, you know, I know we're we're going to still be, you know, talking and getting together and that sort of thing. You know, that's my plan. Hopefully it's yours. Uh, but I want to thank you for everything you've done for me uh, personally and just your counsel and wise advice and support. And also I know everything you've done for the coalition over the years. So thank you for that. And I'd be interested in your thoughts on, you know, where we're going and what's the long-term view and just given your, you know, your work life in this area. Well, thank you, Roger. I mean, I, I think, uh, and, and I really appreciate, you know, working together and look forward to doing that in the future with you. I'm not going anywhere right. physically. I'll be around. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, I'll be around. Yeah. But, I, you know, in looking at this over 40 years, I mean, I think the one thing I'm interested in is how do we keep from having the same conversations over and over and over and over again? Uh, I have, over the year, or last few years especially, developed what I call the 
1986 rule. You know, I sit in a room, I listen to people talk about all these different issues with acquisition and contracting. And I imagine sitting in a room in 1986 and I can even identify the people and could I actually place the words, you know, into all these individual people. And, and so much of the conversation really looks like that to me. Um, I think that, that to get out of that, to break the equilibrium, move into something different, which I think we have to do, uh, given the nature of the world and, and our adversaries and, you know, our desire to have, you know, some high intensity conflict kinds of abilities uh, against some of, the, uh, some of these folks. I, we have to, we don't have a choice, um, is to look at what could be different. And I think one thing that's different is we have a data analytics system now that we never had before that, you know, if properly deployed, at least tell us what the heck is going on in the system almost in real time, which I think is, is an incredible, potentially incredible tool. I think that's, and, and I also think people are starting to look at the boundary conditions, which are the things I mentioned, like the PPBES process in DOD and how we get the money, which I really think the way money flows and the way it's programmed and the way it gets budgeted and the way Congress approves it probably drive more stakeholder behavior in the process, in my opinion, than anything else. So you really need to look at that. I'm not necessarily saying that you need to change it because I think that's very hard, but you at least need to recognize the impact that it has and how it works. Uh, and then, you know, take that into consideration as you're trying to reform. Uh, but I think we've got a lot of things which are kind of drags against that. Um, I know, notice, you know, when I was on the Hill, for example, it was not unusual for staff to be up there 10, 15, 20. I didn't even knew people that had been on committees 30 years. Uh, and you actually had people, you know, that through experience, not, nothing else. Uh, they understood, you know, when you made law, well, what the effect was going to be. And, you know, like you passed a, a statute that said, I want you to start doing all these things. That meant that the department was going to start creating organizations to make sure all that happened. And, 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 and that would be friction, you know, that you were creating in the system as well as whatever goodness. Um, I think that makes it a little bit harder to take a longer, you know, term view of this. Uh, but, but the one, I guess, the, the, and, and on the workforce, you know, as we talked about before, where do you, how do you get a move from a, a model where compliance, which has to happen at some level and process-based, you know, work happens at some level. How do you get to a higher level where leadership and, and, you know, the qualities that you want risk-taking and leadership get, get properly taken into consideration. Uh, and that's really hard, a lot harder than, than, than it sounds like, uh, and especially on a sustained basis. So I think those are the things that I, you know, I, I, bottom line, let's stop having the same conversation that we've been having over and over and over and over again for the last 40 years and figure out where can we, you know, have a new conversation and, and try, you know, new things based on this information now that we can get in real time. Uh, that, that, those, I guess, would be my concluding observations about the process. Great. Well, thank you, John. And, you know, again, thank you for everything you've done for the community and for the government and for all of us. So we, I, I appreciate it. And I'm looking forward. I will definitely, you're, you're not going away anywhere. So, and I'm going to have you back on the show. It's always okay. interesting. Maybe we'll, we'll figure out some other things to talk about maybe. Yeah, perhaps, well, right? <laughs> I may be more knowledgeable. My, my knowledge in this area, if I'm not exercising, it will deteriorate pretty quickly. So, uh, but I'm happy to come back, Roger, anytime you want. Great. Well, thanks. It's a real and, pleasure. I've been really delighted that I've had a chance to stick my finger in the water and swish it around a little bit. And so other people can come and now do that. 
Well, the water's a lot clearer as a result. So thanks so much. All right. All right. I want to thank my guest today, John Etherton, president of Etherton Associates. I'm Roger Waldron, and you've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.